thank you for joining us on A Better Divorce. Our goal is to empower couples and individuals who are going through divorce by sharing experience from professionals and providing powerful insights on having a better divorce. First, John, can you please introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit about your law practice? First of all, thanks for asking me to help out. Um, my, I've been practicing uh, almost 25 years as a lawyer in uh, different parts of Canada, but mostly in BC, uh, almost exclusively in family law. Uh, my current practice is entirely settlement based. Um, so I focus only really on collaborative practice and mediation. Uh, I simply no longer take cases that are litigation based or court based, as you would call it although I've had my share of experience over many years uh, dealing with courts, litigations, and judges. Yes. Um, well, thanks very much for joining us today. Um, our audience always likes listening to, you know, what lawyers have to tell us because it's very expensive to sit in your office. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> so how would you describe the role of a lawyer going through a separation process? Really, you know, the role of the lawyer is they're, they're the advocate for the client. Um, I look at my role, and I think most lawyers do, is we're, we're there to provide legal advice. It's, you know, we know we went to law school, we, we have legal experience. But we also, when it comes to family law in particular, I mean, there's a lot of complex or unique legal aspects to family law cases. And I know it's entirely self-serving to say as a lawyer, but I really think that all people going through a separation or divorce should get at least some basic independent legal advice or, or I, ILA as we'll call it. I just think there's there's a lot of little things that happen over the years and knowing over, over the, not like over the years, but also a lot of little things that happen in family law. that I think if they just get the basics of their rights, their obligations to each other for their children, if there's children involved, uh, I just think that can help them navigate their process from there better. Um, thank you for that. That's a really good point. Um, and it also brings me to uh, one of the discussions points that I want to talk about. Um, from my experience, when I speak to people, they'll often want to approach their separation based on cost. And everyone's very fearful around the cost. Yeah. Um, and so I always describe the lowest cost as being what we would call the kitchen table divorce. And, and you bringing up that, well, if you don't have any legal advice, you may not be getting the outcome that you need. Um, so it, thinking about it in those contexts, um, there is more than one way to get a divorce. Uh, a responsible yeah. couple who wants to separate can choose to do it yourself. There's other options like hiring a mediator, choosing to collaborate, to litigate, or to self-represent. All have um, a lawyer, not all of them have a lawyer involved to the same extent. Uh, I think most couples also know what will work best for themselves because they're the most in touch with their marriage. They understand the dynamics, but they might not understand what process is the right fit for them. Can you just give us a broad overview from the most simplistic a separation agreement to the most complicated in terms of what processes there are? And um, you may, maybe starting off with what we talked about, like the concept of a low-cost kitchen table agreement? I think just to start the discussion, and this, I guess, ties into a bit what I was saying before about it's self-serving for a lawyer to tell people to go to a lawyer, but there really are three, I see it as there being three key elements to reaching an agreement. And 
80%, 99% of all family law matters are done by agreement. It's if you only if you need a divorce, an actual divorce order, do you need a judge or a court to deal with it. So 98, 99% of all the matters can be settled and should be settled by agreement. So, but the three key pieces I look at for people to reach an agreement, whether it's a kitchen table agreement, whether it's done through lawyers or whether it's done through a mediation process, there, there needs to be full financial disclosure. Both parties need to know the finances of each other. They both need to have some people work, you know, work with financial neutrals like yourself, but being able to both know the financial dynamics and have it all on the table. A second element is they should each have independent legal advice. So whether they, again, giving advice is just simply telling you, in my opinion, this is what I could do, or this are some of the options, or this is what the law says. The client doesn't have to follow the advice. They simply should get the advice. And the last piece of it is they should have a document that's in writing that is witnessed and is also signed voluntarily or not through duress. So the three key, if you meet those three key elements of, of independent legal advice, full financial disclosure, and a written voluntarily signed document, that's the critical pieces of having an agreement, however that agreement is done. I think that's really well said. Very well so, said. So when you talk about sort of the different types of agreements, I think you, you, you know, you, and you really did sort of hit the nail on the head a little bit was, whatever works for the couple. I mean, if you have a couple that are, that, that communicate well and know each other's finances well, or, or had lots of joint interactions on financial planning, um, that there's low conflict between them, they both understand, you know, we're kind of going our separate ways, then, you know, the kitchen table agreement can still be something that's done. Even saying that, they should still each get some independent legal advice. Again, just to know what those rights and obligations are. Um, you know, the, the, and, and the more that they can talk together, the more that they can work things out together and maybe they, they go online and get a template. I'm, I'm not a big fan of online forms from, but if they go online and get a template, at least they'll have an idea of what topics to cover. Do they talk about a pension? What happens to Canada pension plan credits? There's a lot of things that people may not understand or think about when it comes time to doing a separation agreement. And sadly, far too many times in my career, once or twice a year almost, you know, I have someone, myself or a colleague I know, will have someone come into their office who tried working it out on their own and they just missed something, you know, they, and they, these could be critical pieces. One situation was someone who missed dividing their pension properly and 12 years later was sort of like, oh, well, where's my share of your pension? And they're like, you're not, there's no share of your pension. We didn't never deal with it. And, and because they, they both didn't get independent legal advice. And unfortunately, that matter ended up being litigated by a colleague of mine and the judges say, sorry, you know, there's a time limit to dealing with this and you missed it. So there's an unfortunate situation where, you know, $400 of legal advice might've saved putting $1,000 a month into the person's pocket for the rest of their life. I mean, the, the, the cost benefit analysis there for a little bit of advice would have been good. Yeah, so how I would summarize that would be that a kitchen table agreement is mostly about a couple working out all of their issues together around a kitchen table and then taking it to um, independent legal advice to have it reviewed and find out what areas they may or may not have missed. Um, and then that would be a really productive way for some couples who are, uh, who have a lot that they agree upon and maybe not overly complex uh, situations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even, you know, that, and this happens time, a lot of times, especially in the practice that I run, is that people come to me and say, hey, we've sat down, and they come at least with an outline of what they're trying to settle on. I 
one I give the legal advice to one couple, I and then the other party gets their own legal advice, and then really it's up to one of the lawyers to put together an, an agreement. It's like actually a quite cost-effective way because if the couple have already had the discussions, they've already talked about how to deal deal with some issues, children or finances. There's not much more for the lawyers to be involved, and in the less involvement of the lawyers, of course, that saves the cost. So through that, they can get have that agreement again. They get an agreement that's in writing has independent legal advice, full financial disclosure, they can sign it. And again, the more they've cooperated, the more chance they'll put it in a drawer and forget about it. Thank you, super helpful. Um, can we now address what uh, mediation? We talk a little bit about mediation. Uh, when does a couple choose mediation and what makes this different from collaboration? Or let me start again. Yeah. Let's just Let's just talk about mediation. Um, and, and tell me when you think a couple might want to use a mediator or choose that approach. Um, you know, it's al almost always a little bit of a continuum. So if the couple are communicating well and can work things out on their own kitchen table, then that's good. But if, let's say there are some issues that need a facilitated discussion. Because a mediator, when I, I act as a mediator, in that role, I'm a neutral to the process. I'm not either one of their lawyers. I'm there to help the couple reach their agreement. So bringing in a mediator is where there may be one or two or multiple issues that the couple are just having a hard time communicating about. Sometimes it can be a hard time about the emotional aspect of the question. Sometimes it could be from a knowledge point of view, one doesn't know what to ask for or what to do. So the mediator can help the couple together get towards uh, their own solution. Uh, very helpful. Um, again, now let's move on to uh, collaboration, okay? So um, I've talked a little bit about collaborative divorce in some of my other videos, and I know that that's your specialty. So can you just explain what collaborative divorce is and why a family would choose that versus mediation? Yeah. Um you know, it, again, it's it's carrying on that continuum. If if in as a, just to one step backwards, it, as a mediator, because I'm neither of the couple's lawyers, I as a mediator will recommend they get independent legal advice. So they still will need separate lawyers out there. A collaborative lawyer, all collaborative lawyers are mediators. So you're kind of having the the mediation mindset of helping the couple try to work things out together, but they each have their own lawyer, so they have that lawyer giving the independent legal advice in in this at the same moment in time in the process. So uh, there are, for a collaborative process, it's similar situations where couples have some issues to talk about that, that need some information, but also need the independent legal advice. The other benefit, I think, greatly of a collaborative process, it really is work, exactly what the word means. We're collaborating, but we're not just collaborating alone as lawyers. We want to have financial neutrals help out where there's financial aspects of the case. Having divorce coaches or child specialists help the parents if they have children and need to work on issues in that regard. So it really is a team approach. It's finding the right group of professionals to work with the couple within each of their special professional specialties, which actually is cost effective. I mean, as a lawyer, I can tell you 10 different ways to uh, deal with a parenting plan for children, but I'm not a child psychologist to tell you was the plan better for a six-year-old or a 16-year-old. Having a divorce coach or child specialist to help on that end they can deal with that piece. They can negotiate, work with a couple to negotiate and mediate uh, the a parenting plan and then work in, in side by side with the lawyers and not, not duplicating resources, but actually um, 
really giving the family a collaborative approach to their separation, working all together to get them moving forward for what, again, what the couple wants and what the couple's trying to decide. So if you were entering, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about our audience and they're watching this and they're thinking, gosh, that's a lot of options. Um, would you say that there is a level of complexity that takes you from mediation to collaboration, uh, a net worth um, of a family that might lead you to choose collaboration over mediation? What, you know, when somebody's evaluating what uh, direction to take, um, is there an assessment process that they should go through? Who do they ask? How do they decide? You know, I, I, I've had situations when a, on a collaborative file that were literally done in one meeting, in one session. There was so much background work done by the couple, um, like the kitchen table agreement idea, that we came together with, uh, in a collaborative context, so they each had their lawyers, and the, the, we had a shell of an agreement already pre-drafted. We had a few questions to mediate, together and then we were able to sign an agreement. I've, I've had situations that have gone on for a long time and of course I've had multiple meetings and multiple bits of complexity. You know it really depends. Um, on, I've had a situation where we've had 26 interrelated companies. That took a tremendous amount of the financial business valuation side. They actually spend more time on the file I think than the lawyers did because that but that was the level of complexity that that couple needed. So I think you know with, with I don't People shouldn't think, oh, collaborative process, I must have all of these elements. I must have the lawyer. I must have a coach. I must have this. It really is geared to the couple and their scenario. And I think when someone comes to meet with me or most of our collaborative colleagues, they're going to be given that kind of level, the breakdown of those scenarios. You know, and hopefully people are, the lawyers and the professionals are matching what the clients need, not the other way around, which I strongly believe. I strongly believe the clients needs are met by the team or by the individual professional by what they need you you've had this experience as well where someone might start on the financial side i mean if someone if a couple are communicating well but maybe they don't have a good sense of what each other's finances are then their process may start on the financial side doing a little exploration work with a financial neutral who then sends them to a mediator or a, or a collaborative lawyer to kind of help get the draft the actual uh, legal agreement I think this is part of the reason I'm doing this video series is that it's really not always obvious for people. And I would summarize some of what you're saying um, by saying that um, often you won't, don't always know what you need and, when you're going into the process. Sometimes we can't even identify all the issues over a kitchen table. Uh, and what I'm hearing is, is that in a collaborative process, you've got each, um, each partner has their own lawyer and you're sitting around a boardroom rather than a kitchen table, identifying, uh, you know, moving, moving forward around all the different issues. And when you come across something that might be a stumbling block, that you're reaching out to resources to help you with the idea that the families first. And I'm going to have you talk a little bit now, John, about your experience working with families in collaboration versus your experience historically working in litigation um, and the difference in the relationships post, in the environment while they're negotiation, negotiating, and part of the reason that 
that you've chosen the work that you do today? Yeah. I, I mean, I'll be perfectly blunt that I, I don't think anybody should go to a court. It's not to say courts aren't there. Uh, there are going to be certain situations where you will have no choice. But I think the, 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 the vast difference to me is in litigation models, my client is telling me to go before a judge and let that person make his or her decision about their life after hearing me speak in a mediated context or a collaborative context or even the kitchen table context, the couple are speaking for themselves. I actually encourage people when we have our four-way meetings, whether as a mediator or as a collaborative lawyer, I encourage them to use their own words, say what they want, say what they're thinking, say what, make proposals, put out ideas in, the, in, in using their own words, their own ideas, because th that's what they're meeting. At the end of the day, we wanna meet their needs as a couple. Um, they're going to have different needs and they're going to have different perspectives of how to get there. But, you know, the, the litigation takes that all away. It, 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 the, 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 the party, the, the client is literally sealed away from the judge, is sealed away from the decision maker. It's going through the, their lawyer's voice. So I think, you know, there are collaboration or mediation or kitchen table, anything that involves a discussion and a dialogue, um, you, it, it, it's hard. It's harder work. Don't don't get me wrong. It's not easy sometimes for the people to be able to speak for themselves, but it gets them a chance to be part of the process, be part of their solution, as opposed to letting uh, someone else make a decision for them that can affect them the rest of their lives. So, if I was watching this video, and I had a very large family net worth, one of the things that I would be thinking is. How, how do I know that I'm not, how do I know that I'm not going to get everything, you know, and when I, when I talk on this video series, I always say I come to the approach that you're dividing your assets, you're dividing your income, and you're dividing your time with your family, okay, but I still think there's often a block for people and, and a fear that if you don't choose litigation, you're going to be leaving something on the table. You know, the, 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 the law is the same whether a judge tells you what to do or you decide what you want to do. That's the point of having the independent legal advice component on an agreement. You know, pensions are divided by law. If, if, if you, you know, a judge basically can only divide a pension at source. It's very, very rare a judge will do a buyout of a pension. But a buyout of a pension is something that can be done by agreement. Spousal support. Normally, if you're in front of a judge, a judge is very limited to just making it monthly support, come back and see me when you figure something out or something changes in the future. In a collaborative or, or mediated context or, or any other agreement, you can buy out or contract through spousal support. You can come up with different options and hybrid options. So the law actually, in an, the law is the same. I mean, you, you said you're going to share assets, you're going to share income and share parenting. The by using an agreement-based process or a settlement-based process, the, the couple can work, actually gets more options <laughs> available to how to deal with things than less. And a judge is limited. Judges are very fine box that they have to stick within. In a, in a mediated context or a negotiated context, you can push the edges of that box out a little bit. You can move around all within the law. The law is not going to change. The for, you know, we have child support guidelines, whether we uh, child support is determined by agreement or child support is determined by a judge. It's the exact same law. It's the same tables, the same legislation, the same piece of law. It's not going to change. But 
having a discussion about it, there may be different options. There may be, there, there's this little bits of discretion built in, which a judge normally can't go outside the box uh, because they're so hand-strung by the law. Whereas in an agreement, again, we're within the box of the law. We're not stretching out of the what the law says, but you can maybe go higher on one side and lower on another or come up with some other arrangements that works for that family or that couple because you've heard from both of them. Yes, I've, I've had that experience uh, working on collaborative files um, where we've been able to, uh, to make things more tax efficient. Um, yep. So family law, for example, doesn't shape around taxes, but if you understand taxes, you can make sure there's more money um, in the family at the end of it all using um, more of an interest-based negotiation. And I think that's one of the, one of the important things is, is uh, you know, the goal is the family. Um, and what I'm hearing from you and from your experience is that you don't see a reward from going to litigation uh, for one party over another. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and now um, having said that, tell me when you do think that clients are, uh, should be using litigation. You know, there are, I said before, we're not going to get rid of the court system for family law. It's going to be there. And there are cases. I think, you know, if you have someone who's simply not engaging in any process, they won't talk, they won't negotiate, they won't produce their finances, they won't hire a lawyer, they literally won't do anything. But in a mediation or a collaboration, you have to, it's by, things are done by agreement and by consensus or by consent. If someone won't agree to anything and won't participate in anything, unfortunately, you do have to find someone who can make a decision for you. If someone's not producing their financial disclosure, a court will order it. And if the person then chooses not to do it, well, the court can order a bank or a CRA or somebody else to do it. So there are those scenarios with, with complete non-engagement and complete non-willingness to negotiate. You are left with no choice but to go to court. Uh, and a lot of that key can be on the dis non-disclosure of financial information. And I think the other ones, you know, you get other things where someone might have, might remove a child from a jurisdiction or someone wants to move away from a jurisdiction against another parent's will. Those are very hard things to sometimes if, the, if they're, the couple are so polarized in their positions and they could both have completely good loving intentions. There's no, I'm not disparaging one or the other. But those may be situations where unfortunately you have to have basically a referee or a judge has to come in and say, you know what, I need to make a decision A over B. But I still think 98% of the cases that are out there should all can be and would all be settled uh, by, by a court, uh, sorry, out of, out of court and by agreement. Okay, so if you are a separating couple who has the interest of their family in common, but they're fairly polarized because the conflict has escalated. How do, how do we bring them into a more positive environment when they're quite far apart, there's high conflict? So, because from my experience, those are the people that tend to go to litigation. Yeah. You know, they're in a high conflict area, but it doesn't mean that they necessarily have to take that approach. But often, just getting a couple to agree on using the same process can be a challenge. How do we, how do you? You, you know, you're, you, you, I think just from experience, I find you try to push 
where you can push the couple in that direction or push the other part, the resistant party in that direction. In saying that, I know there are times it just doesn't happen, that, that someone will not engage. But when you explain, if, if both people get some independent legal advice, again, from collaborative settlement trained people and not just pure litigation, like if you go to a pure litigation-based lawyer who only knows one process and only wants to advocate one process, well, not trying to insult them, but that's the process they'll go to because they know that's what they're that their experience is. By going to a collaborative settlement-based lawyer and a mediation or mediation-based lawyer, you're getting someone who, yes, knows courts are there, but is going to find other ways. I mean, it, it's it's hard to kind of, I guess, pinpoint on a single global way of getting a, a person engaged. But, it, you know, I think when you explain to people that it's less costly to, to than court, it's way more timely. Courts take years and years to solve things if they solve them. Um, and 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 there and it removes the person's uh, ability to be part of their process. Again, their lawyer is speaking to the judge, or they're on. If they're not having a lawyer, they're speaking to the judge directly. But still, the judge is making a decision. It takes all the decision-making power away from the couple or the parent party if they get the judge a judge involved. Um, so, I think when you explain to people the cost-benefit of avoiding a court the time savings of going to court and the control that they maintain of their own process, you can persuade a lot of people. And I think a lot of people, not a question of persuading them, but a lot of people almost the light bulb goes off and they go, hey, that makes sense. I can do this quicker, less expensively and more in my interest and getting more of what you said, getting more of what I need or what I want. I can do that better than going to court. Let's talk about cost now that you mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> um, something that is always very sensitive for anybody going through a separation process. Um, you know, you're dividing your assets. That's already going to be difficult on the family budget. Uh, what would you say to a client coming in to see you that's got, you know, a fairly substantial network? They've got children. Um, there might, you know, you might need some accountants involved. Uh, there's probably some issues that are difficult that need to be worked out. So this is not yep. a kitchen table situation where they can negotiate it all at a kitchen table. What would you say to them to budget and expect from going through either mediation or a yeah. collaborative divorce? You know, it's hard. I, I mean, every case is unique. Uh, like I said, I've had a situation where one meeting and it was done versus a case which has gone on for years and has had eight or nine meetings and, and you know that that's where you get a case that's a couple of thousand dollars to cases that are tens of thousands of dollars no matter what process is chosen outside of court a court to go have a court case and run it all the way through a 10-day trial you will i couldn't even imagine you're investing 150 200 000 or way or more i've seen cases where you know really really high conflict cases that get into a million bucks is spent and then there's nothing left they got nothing left so there's no question anything else is cheaper <laughs> but the idea you have to look at it is if you know if you were buying or selling a business and let's say your business is worth two million dollars and you're trying to sell that business i would think of you know reasonable fees for corporate lawyers and accountants to review things and the due diligence on both sides would be ten thousand dollars twenty thousand dollars i don't think it's unheard of i mean if you're talking about a two million dollar asset so you're making if you're saying well i'll invest ten thousand dollars um, into, let's say I call it 10%, I'll invest, sorry, 2%, I'll invest uh, $20,000 to help buy this $2 million business. 
um, you know, that may be a reasonable business expense to, to, because of what you're buying. Um, I'm not saying that every family case is going to be ten, twenty thousand dollars, but you know, you have to be realistic as the professional as well. It has to be realistic to what's involved. If I, I've had, I mean, I, I'm fortunate that I work on my own, so I can be more engaging in my fees uh, if I need to give breaks to people. Um, but the idea is to, you know, if you have a case that's a few hundred thousand dollars of total family net worth, they can't spend twenty thousand dollars on a divorce uh, because they just can't afford that. Uh, and there are services, there are pro bono services, there are uh, fixed fixed fee services that collaborative lawyers and mediators will work on. Um, so there are services out there for that scenario. But if you talk about a, a modest net worth and you know where where there's some uh, property, there's pension, there's income income and future income potentials, there's invest you know RESPs or investments, you know having some professional advice again you're trying to get to that goal of get that separation agreement that if it's done right and people are both satisfied they both participated in creating it they can put it in a drawer and forget about it and it is an investment in getting that so you know to to give a specific answer on what would it cost it really i think it depends on every case being different and i think but i don't think people should be hesitant look I, i'm one lawyer with one point of view and one hourly rate there are people who will do consultations uh, initial consultations with no charge and this goes back to getting at least, at least getting a basic independent legal advice, have a basic consultation with a lawyer when you're separating or divorcing, at least to see what's out there. I know that when I do my consultations, part of the consultation piece is talking about costs and expected costs and expected fees, because that's part of the future service. One of the things that I've spoken about with um, the counselors in talking about choosing process and getting ready for the process is how important it is to plan and to prepare before you um, move too far down the path of your negotiations. Um, yeah. So I would, I would always recommend, for a lot of couples, they haven't looked at their family net worth for years. There's very few couples that actually meet with a financial planner once a year, review their net worth, review their cash flow, and things like that. And when you're going through a separation, you are, you're, you're looking at your family assets. And for some people, it's the first time that they've done that in a decade. And for some people, it's the first time that they're getting really educated on what all that means, or maybe one cup, one person in the party is. Um, and then the other piece too is trust. So I've heard you talk a lot about how in order to move forward um, in a good positive negotiation, you have to have trust in order for both parties to, uh, to be able to have the conversation. Yeah. So I see those two pieces as part of the preparation, which is talking to a counselor, also talking to a um, certified divorce financial planner to get started on understanding your finances before going to see a lawyer or at the same time. What is your comment around that, John? I would agree with you. I think where you have, I, I would, in my experience, it's it's the, it's the rare exception where both people in a marriage or a relationship are on the exact same page about finances and financial management and and knowing exactly where everything is in most situations that i've experienced people you know one person's more in charge of paying bills maybe one person's more in charge of managing investments so what the using a financial neutral to come in and help the couple 
get do a net worth statement find out what 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 the net worth statement what what are the assets and issue and what are the income questions and or tax implications it's invaluable because then when you go to the lawyer you you come in prepared i know you know one of the things that really is helpful as when i'm doing initial consultations is getting some uh information from the person on what are the what's the financial situation you know i, I what that that's such a good part of their own preparation um so working with someone in advance to have a clear picture of the net worth for the family is, is great and the same on the therapeutic or counseling side i mean there are certain situations too where i've asked somebody you know i've i've had situations where i've brought in a divorce or parenting coach um before the lawyers ever get engaged because the couple still needed to have a therapeutic conversation on why the relationship ended or you know um, possibly maybe the relationship didn't need to end um so you know that kind of information i think that you know the the person out there who you know is has made a decision to separate and the couple are on that same page about that about separating or at least both and know that's where things are going um again getting some financial advice or counseling advice or legal advice it's all part of the same process it's 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 using those experts in those fields to help that couple reach their agreement you you mentioned earlier um that you are only one lawyer with one opinion yeah. and um and i also recommend that people talk to more than one lawyer uh and and also to discover an interview about process so you've got litigation lawyers only litigation you've got lawyers that are collaborative or are mediators, for example. Yeah. So, so if you're entering this process, um, going through, you know, you're starting a separation, what do you say to those people? What questions should they be asking when they're interviewing a lawyer other than how much am I going to get for my spouse support? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think it's it, important probably to talk about negotiating styles. It's one thing to ask, you know, what is, you know, someone, you know, I, I take a rather reasonable approach to things, not a big secret that I'm going to really reveal to my colleagues, but I'm not going to ask for the moon if the moon is not achievable. There's just no point. I'm wasting everyone's time and money and energy doing that. But you want to put forward reasonable proposals. That's be my, so asking a lawyer what their negotiation strategy is. Um, again, I think just being upfront about uh, being, being an active part of your case. You know, it, it, you know the, the, as I said before, when we started, I see my role as being their advocate. But I can only advocate what they share and what they ask and what they want. So you know, I, I I can't be left to guessing. And hopefully, they are they need to become an active participant in their file by by from day one, ask, asking questions. Uh, you know, questioning. Uh, I mean, I guess every lawyer is a bit different. I mean, I try to always, if I can, you know, get, uh, engage the client in, when before any step is taken or before any proposals are made. I always try to get my clients to review them first and give me their, share their feedback with me. I would hope most of my colleagues are doing that. I believe most of my coll collaborative colleagues certainly are doing that. Um, so I think if the client comes to uh, uh, not, not just an initial session, but even later on is, is always being an active part of the case, ask questions and, and, uh, and, and also pr provide what's asked for. I think the other frustration sometimes for lawyers is, you know, they, if we ask, we, you know, where, co where costs get expensive is the lawyer's time. So if, if I have to continuously 
chase something down or I have to continue, if, or if I'm asked to review financial statements and things like that, that may not be the best use of my time as a lawyer. So I try it again, always work with my clients on finding the best ways of saving time to save funds uh, and, and or find the right expert to, to help with that. One way I would summarize um, what I'm hearing is your approach, which I think is really uh, quite wonderful, is that what I hear is, is that you really want to hear what's important to your clients. And then you want to be able to help them create something that's reasonable, that's within the law, and make sure that there's nothing that they've left on the table. And I think the important part of that is that that is what your lawyer is there to do. They're not there to get you something that's outside of the law. Yep. They're there to get, they're there to help you understand the situation, help you understand where your family division fits within the law. But really for most people, people don't know how to interpret the law. That's not their, but they know, they know what's right for their family. And I think that a good lawyer can translate what's right for their family into an agreement that meets the legal tests and also is going to provide for the family. No, I, I think that's exactly what I see the role of lawyers being. And again, I know that the vast majority of lawyers, especially collaborative settlement based lawyers, that's our goal. Our goal is to help the family move forward. The, the, in, in most scenarios, it's, there's a couple, they have some children, they have uh, been together for a while, they have developed a net worth together. You know, most of those types of situations, you, you know, there's, there's a long future ahead. They, they are gonna be parents to these children the rest of their lives. Wouldn't we want them to be in a scenario where as their children graduate or get married or have grandchildren, that the couple can maintain a civility between them and a communication between them. And, you know, contrast that to litigation cases, I, you know, courts and litigation, I think, bring out the worst in people. And I think it brings out almost as a hatred to each other and, and really can create an animosity that people can never get over. And then you, so you're never able to co-celebrate a child's graduation or co-celebrate a child's marriage. I mean, these are things that people have to think about it. You know, we're, we're living our lives now into our 90s or 100s. And yet you might have had a relationship or marriage for 20, 25 years. You still have another 50 years possibly to go. So, you know, you, you, we look at collaboration and, and mediation and settlement-based work as, as an ability to help a family transition from this point in their life to another point in their life. And exactly as you said, there's put, put their interests, put what they, what they need to help them move forward within the same legal box that every case needs to have be in that legal box. They need to follow the law, but find something that works within their context and, and helps them move forward. Perfect. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? I think we've, I think we've really covered a lot of great issues and um, just, is there anything that you want to add uh, on this topic of, of choosing a lawyer, choosing a process? I think uh, one thing I, we didn't touch on, I didn't mention, you know, also for clients to be patient. Um, you know, you may have a situation where one person has decided to end a relationship, um, maybe not formalizing it, but in their mind, they've decided to end that relationship months or even years ahead of the other par parent or party. Just to understand, you need both people to be ready to settle. Um, often two times you might have someone who 
um, wants to have things done yesterday, <laughs> but the other person isn't there yet. They're, they're not necessarily there yet in an emotional way. Um, so some things that can happen there is they might just say fine, whatever, and settle and then be regretful and resentful in the future. Or you might have someone who feels guilt and remorse and then maybe does quote unquote give away <laughs> too much than, than, they, than they, they thought they should or legally should. And then again, they may have some resentment uh, built in later on in life. So I think couples need to understand that it, to be a bit patient, let time take its place. And I think that's very much another real good aspect of collaborate, collaborating and collaborate, uh, collaborative practice is because if you're working with divorce and parenting coaches and you're working with lawyers who understand that dynamic and the emotional dynamic of separation and divorce, they may be more understanding of that. You may have situations where you actually will pause the legal solutions to allow for a coaching process to carry on or allow some, some more emotional conversations to happen. Because if you don't want to create resentment in the future, you wanna be able to say, you know what, this was hard. And I said this, you know, working together and, and having couples work together, it's hard work. It's definitely hard to be in a room together, in, in, a, in a space together or on a Zoom call together where um, you've made a decision not to be with this person and now you're having to sit down together and make decisions together. But being patient about it, being respectful of each other, listening to each other's perspectives. We don't ask people to adopt or accept those perspectives. Just listen, be patient, and and let let and then take in the advice that you're being being given. At the end of the day, make hopefully they'll make good, educated decisions and move forward from there. John, thank you so much for you're your insights welcome. and experience. Uh, we will definitely be having you back on our YouTube channel. Um, if if you want to contact John, it's um, Jonathan Lazar, and he's in Vancouver, BC. Um, and you can find all that information and some of the resources on the description of our video. Uh, we really enjoyed you having you here today. And for all of our um, YouTube channel watchers, uh, please subscribe to our channel. Thanks very much.